fact of life, isn't it, that some people suffer more than others. All of us have probably uh, observed that. I have on my bookshelf at home a, a book by a chap called Philip Doddridge, written a couple of hundred years ago. Philip Doddridge had 18 siblings, and he was the only one of his siblings who made it to adulthood. That's, that's a lot of suffering. If we look at people's medical records, some people make it to 70 or 80 in good health, never needing operation, taking very few medications. Other people, even while they're in their teenage years, undergoing multiple operations, having to take lots of medications. Some people suffer more than others. I was listening to the radio this week and had sort of Job going around in my heart and in my head. Uh, and, and there was a guy on the radio who'd been through an ordeal and, and what he said caught my ear. He said this, good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And the point he was making, it's just random. There's, there's no order to it. It's just potluck. There's no rhyme or reason to why some people suffer more than others. When we read Job's friends' response to Job, they would disagree with that sentiment. I think we also, as Christians, would want to disagree with that sentiment. Life isn't just a series of chance happenings. We were introduced to Job's friends last week. He had these three friends, all from different places. So there's Eliphaz, the Temanite. There's Bildad. He's the shortest man in the Bible. Uh, you've heard this joke before. He's Shuhite. Uh, and then there's, sorry, I had to put that one in. Uh, and then there's Zophar. He's a Namathathite. And they come to Job in his, in his misery uh, and in his suffering. He was sat there in the ash heap and they want to bring him sympathy and comfort. And we saw last time we were looking at Job that they sat with him for seven days in silence, not saying a word. And eventually it was Job that broke the silence and out of his mouth came all those dark words and we listened uh, to his dark lament. His life was full of so much trouble that he just wished he had never existed. And we were thinking as well two weeks ago, what would you say to Job? If Job were your friend, what words would you speak to him? I think most of us probably struggle when uh, faced with suffering to know what are the right words to say. Sometimes it seems that words are just unable to hold the weight that's required of them to bring comfort uh, when there's lots of suffering. But after Job breaks his silence, we see that his friends have lots and lots and lots and lots of things to say. And we're going to focus over the next couple of weeks upon the speeches that his friends give him. There's lots of chapters. We're not going to go all the way through every chapter. This morning, we're going to aim to get a kind of overview of what they say, and then maybe next week we'll look at one particular speech. The conversations, they go back and forward between Job and his friends. Job laments. His friends reply. Job answers. His friends respond. It's a bit like a tennis match. You get a sore neck going kind of backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. 
And as the friends speak, you get this feeling that they, they're convinced that they're speaking wise words. They're convinced that what they are saying to Job is ex- exactly the right thing. So we saw that in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Eliphaz, he came, claims to have had some sort of spiritual revelation. A word, he says, brought to me stealthily amidst the visions of the night. A spirit glided past my face. I heard a voice. See, some kind of spiritual insight that Eliphaz has had. Or Bildad, he, he claims to be bringing the wisdom of the ages in chapter 8. He's urging Job to listen and to inquire of bygone ages and to consider what the fathers have searched out. Zophar, in chapter 11, he says this, Oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. Except Job doesn't have to wait for God to speak because Zophar is going to tell him that wisdom. And what Zophar says is, only be cruel he says this to Job know then that God exacts of you less than you deserve that's so far's wisdom to suffering Job who's lost his wealth he's lost his health he's lost all his family and so far says know then that God exacts of you less than you deserve his friends are convinced they're speaking wise words but the question I want to ask this morning is are, are they wise words Christopher Ash in his commentary gives a really helpful summary, a four-point summary of the belief system of Job's friends. And if you were to go home this afternoon and read through the, the, the speeches of Job's friends, I think you would agree that this is a good summary. He condenses it into four points or four planks uh, that form the, the kind of basis of their belief system. The first uh, plank is this, that God is absolutely in control. We'd want to agree with that, wouldn't we? That's what we saw in chapter one. God is in control. The second plank in their belief system is that God is just. He's a God of justice and he always does what's right. So plank one, God is in control. Plank two, God is a God of justice. Plank number three, God always punishes the wicked and blesses the righteous. That's just how this world works. Sooner in this life rather than later, God punishes the wicked and blesses the righteous. And so plank number four, if you suffer, it's because you've sinned. Suffering is punishment for sin. You can see that idea coming out in the passage that we read. So chapter four, verse seven Remember who that was innocent ever perished or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Comes out in chapter five, the advice that uh, Eliphaz gives to Job. He said, as for me, I would seek God and to God I would commit my cause. Then you shall know that your tent is at peace. You shall inspect your fold and miss nothing you shall know that your offspring will be many. The implications to Job are dead clear, aren't they? Job, if you were in the right, if you had done nothing wrong, this, this, this terrible thing would not have happened to you. 
Job, your life is so full of trouble because somewhere along the line, you've sown that trouble for yourself. They would have got their Bible out and, and quoted Galatians chapter 6. Job, you reap what you sow. And the problem for the friends is, is that they've read the equation backwards. <laughs> they've said, Job, because you have sown, you've sown, because you've reaped trouble, you must have sown trouble. That's not how it works in the garden, is it? We've got a patch in our garden that we're trying to reseed with lawn and you kind of dig it over and then you put the grass seed in and then you wait. What do you get? You get grass. You sow grass, you get grass. But also there you get nettles, you get dandelions, all sorts of things in that garden, in that garden that you haven't sown. But not for Job's friends. Job, if this is what you're reaping, this is what you must have sown. And so they advise him, Job, turn back to God. Repent, do the right thing and God will bless you. That's the kind of summary of their advice to Job. And as they unpack this belief system, they speak, as I've said, lots and lots and lots of words. If you were to go home and read these speeches, you would be worn out. (laughs) You'd be fed up. I think that's the point. Job, by the time we get to chapter 27, he's worn out. He's fed up of his friend's words. At one point he calls them miserable comforters. Chapter 19, he says they are tormenting him and breaking him to pieces with their words. As Job's friends speak these lots of words, they become increasingly angry words. At, at the start, it was kind of gently, gently. You can see that in the start of chapter 4, Eliphaz, he's tentative. If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Job, you've been full of advice for others in hard times. You've done a great job at strengthening them. Will you now listen? Verse 5, he says, it's come to you. Are you impatient? It touches you. Are you dismayed? As they begin to speak, Job loses his patience with his friends. He too gets angry. He protests. I don't deserve this suffering. There is no particular sin that I've done that can be a reason why I'm suffering so much. And his friends just get angry with him. They think Job is accusing God of being unfair. They even accuse Job of calling God unjust. They're incensed. They call Job a a windbag. (laughs) How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert what is right? And then as they get angry, the words start to get cruel and cutting. Imagine saying this to someone who's just lost their 10 children. If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into their hands of their transgression. How cruel. Lots of words, angry words, but are they, are they wise words? What, what are we to make of Job's friends? Re- reading through, it's a, it's a real mixed bag. And just reading the friends' speeches, it's, it's really hard to know. Are they saying what's right? Are they saying what's wrong? Sometimes they say things that seem very right, correct, orthodox. They say things that, as Bible-believing Christians, we'd want to agree with them. 
So one of Job's friends says this, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Shoal, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And we would want to say, yes, God is awesome. His ways are kind of beyond our understanding. And yeah, his friends get Job very wrong, don't they? They, they keep persisting, Job, you must have done something wrong. That's a reoccurring theme in these speeches. And we know from chapter one, Job is, he's in the right. Not because he's perfect, but because he's a believer. He's, he's trusted God. He's forgiven. He's someone who fears God and turns away from evil. And as we look at Job's friends' speeches, we must see that what they say is really no, it's no wisdom at all. And we know that because of what God says at the end. In chapter 38 onwards, God begins to speak. And he says this. Read this in chapter 41. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has done. That's definitive. These wise words of the friends are kind of God's, uh, God's assessment of them are that they are wrong words. God says you've not spoken rightly about me. It's though they've got kind of pieces of the puzzle but they've put them all together in the wrong order and made what was meant to be the truth tell a lie. That's what Job's friends have done. And I think there's a word of warning for us here. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, there's lots of warnings uh, about false teachers. Feature, features regularly in Paul's letters. And false teachers don't come with a big sticker on their head saying, I'm, I'm a false teacher. They're described in the Bible as wolves in sheep's clothing. They're really a wolf, but they look like a sheep. False teachers come with Bible in hand, quoting chapter and verse, but they twist the truth. They put their own words in God's mouth. And John Shearer reminded us last week, didn't he, the importance of being like the Berean believers. Paul went to them and he told them the good news. And what did they do? They examined the scriptures to see if these things are so. That's what we must all do. Don't just presume because someone stands on TV talking with a Bible in their hand that they're telling you the truth. Don't even just presume because someone stands up here with a Bible in their hand and speaks to you that they're telling you the truth. Often with false teachers... The problem is not the things they say, but the things they leave out. They habitually leave out key ingredients, key truth. So false teachers might talk a lot about God, but not about sin. They might talk a lot about love, but not much about holiness and judgment. Or vice versa, they might talk all about hellfire, but never about God's love. False teachers may major on how you have to live right but never say anything about forgiveness and grace. 
False teachers might talk a lot about blessings now, but never about the suffering that comes to the faithful children of God. And what I want us to, to take hold of is when we read the speeches of Job's friends, they're not wise words, they're wrong words. So why, why is it that Job's friends' words are wrong? What's the problem with what they say? Well, Job's friends have no place for innocent suffering. That's the big problem with their words. Job's friends have no place for innocent suffering. Heard that in Eliphaz's question. Who that was innocent has ever perished? Innocent people don't perish. That's what Eliphaz says. It's a world of straight lines, a world where people suffer are getting what they deserve and a world where people that are blessed are getting what they deserve. It's a bit like the song in The Sound of Music, the one Maria sings with Captain Von Trapp. I'm not going to sing it, so I'm not going to sing it. I'll just read it. Nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. For here you are, standing there loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. I I tried to write a verse kind of inverted for Job, uh, but I couldn't. So if you want to do that today... Uh, that'd be great, but you get the point. You kind of you do something, and then you you get what you deserve. It's one of the the basic principles behind all man-made religion. What goes around comes around. God helps those who help themselves. This idea, this Indian idea of karma, that's foundational in in many religions that originate in India. Karma, if you do enough good stuff now, you're going to get lots of good stuff coming to you. But if you do bad stuff now, well, you're going to get bad stuff coming to you. But in this kind of worldview, there's no room for innocent suffering. There's only deserved suffering. And so the words of Job's friends can bring him no hope. They speak, friends from a, they, they speak those words from a deck chair, from a place of comfort and security and it's a deck chair that Job doesn't deserve and they speak those words and they speak that wisdom and it comes from a world without a cross doesn't it it comes from a world where there is no grace let me try and explain remember Eliphaz's question who that was innocent has ever suffered Well, in response to that question, we have the cross. Who that was innocent ever suffered? Jesus. At the cross, the truly innocent one suffers, not because he deserves to suffer, anything but, but because he suffers in place of the guilty. He suffers, the innocent one suffers, so that the guilty ones may not perish The Apostle Peter puts it like this. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That is the grace and the wisdom of the cross. And it's the total opposite to the wisdom that Job's friends are talking about. Job's friends did not believe in a God of grace. As they look at Job, they must condemn him because the innocent don't suffer. They have no place for innocent suffering and so they have no place for suffering that redeems guilty people. And we could say that if Job's friends could look ahead of time and look at the cross of Jesus, they would look at Jesus and they would have to condemn him. Their theology wouldn't allow them to do anything else. They would look at Jesus and see one who is smitten and afflicted by God. They would have condemned him as guilty. They would have not been able to see that Jesus was wounded for their transgressions, that he was crushed for their iniquities. Their straight line wisdom just wouldn't have allowed it. And where does Job's friend's wisdom leave them? It leaves them at the end of the book, under God's burning anger and needing a mediator. That's where man-made religion leads. (laughs) It leaves us under God's anger. Job, on the other hand, he did believe in a God of grace, didn't he? Can you remember what he said uh, uh, right at that moment when everything was taken away? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He never for one minute thought he was earning his blessings. He understood that all that he had was a gift of God's grace. He didn't think he was perfect, but he knew he was forgiven. And the great confusion for Job is, why should a forgiven sinner suffer this much? So two very different wisdoms, isn't it? The wisdom of Job's friends, which is a world without a cross and a world without grace. And Job's wisdom, a world that's shaped by the cross, where believers in Jesus must learn to live in the shadow of the cross. That's a kind of overview of of Job's friends and what they're saying. I want to try a couple of points of application now as we move towards a close. So two questions. The first one, the first question is which wisdom? Which wisdom shapes your life? Which wisdom shapes your heart? Which wisdom do you live according to? Is it a wisdom that says you get what you deserve? So you're, you're trying your best. You're trying to figure it all out. You want to get to God. You want to do the right thing. You want to be a good person. Because what goes around comes around. And maybe if you live a good life, maybe if you do your best, life will work out for you. And then after you die... God welcomes good people, doesn't he? (laughs) That's exactly what Job's friends think. And that's the kind of advice that they give Job. They tell Job, look, just turn back. Do the right thing, Job. Then Zophar says, then your life will be brighter than the noonday and your darkness will be like the morning. Serve God, Job. Come on, then you'll get blessing." That's that's exactly what Satan has said, isn't it, in chapter (laughs) 1? God, Job only serves you because you bless him. And here his friends saying, Job, serve God so you can get his blessing. 
They encourage him to religious activity and pious behavior. But that kind of wisdom has a big stamp of disapproval from God upon it. And if you're living that way this morning, if that's your kind of default running system, this earn your way religion, it leaves you under God's anger. But I pray this morning that's, that's not. <laughs> that's not what you believe about God and about our world. I hope you've embraced the wisdom of the cross. Come to see that you really need God's grace. Because all of your morality, all of your human wisdom cannot help you. It leaves you far from God. I hope you've come to see that you are guilty. (laughs) And if you get what you deserve, you deserve hell. And I hope you've come to embrace the Lord Jesus, the innocent one who suffered in your place. I can remember one day in my early 20s reading a few verses from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is speaking to some very religious people, people who probably believe similar things to Job's friends. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I'd grown up knowing that truth from being very small. But somewhere along the line, my focus had gone astray. And I begin to focus on how I'm doing, on my efforts, on my ability to change my life. And just in that moment when I read those verses... I was reminded again of the wonderful truth of the gospel. So as I tried and tried and tried, I'd come to see more and more what it meant for me to be a sinner. That's what happens as we we walk with Jesus. We understand more and more uh, of the corruption of our own heart. And it makes us more and more thankful for him. But as I was understanding the corruption of my own heart, I was getting really down. And then as I read that verse, I realized, oh, This is what it means for me to be a sinner. And Jesus came for me. (laughs) That's good news. That's the the wisdom of the cross. Wisdom that gives us what we don't deserve. So that's the first question. Which wisdom? The second question, what words? What, What words? What would you say to Job if he was your friend? We know Job's not perfect. But he is a believer and he's forgiven and he is right with God. So the words that we would speak to Job might be similar to the words that we could speak to a brother and sister in the Lord who is suffering. We also know that Job didn't deserve to suffer. He'd done no particular sin that God was punishing him for. He's blameless. And there's a very real sense that no one who's a Christian deserves to suffer. Why is that? Well, when we're in Christ, Jesus has borne all of our sins. Sins that we know about, sins that we don't know about. Sins in the past, sins in the present, and sins in the future. Jesus has taken them all, and he's taken uh, away from us the punishment that we deserve. So in light of the cross, 
Christians don't deserve to suffer. No suffering that a Christian faces can be punishment from God. And yet Christians continue to suffer in all sorts of ways. Sickness, heartache, loss, death, relational pain. And in some parts of the world, Christians suffer greatly. I heard a statistic this week. Blew me away. It said 215 million Christians. This is a conservative estimate. 215 million Christians are suffering persecution worldwide. Even though they don't deserve to suffer, Christians continue to suffer. But we never suffer as punishment for sin. We, We suffer because we're united with Jesus. Paul talks about sharing in Jesus' sufferings. And in Jesus, we know that somehow, although we don't understand the details, we know that somehow that suffering will result in great glory. Somehow our suffering is going to be used by God in his great redemptive purposes. Imagine if Job's friends had sat down with him and said these words. Job, we don't understand why you're suffering. We don't. But we know that this suffering cannot be God's punishment upon you. You're God's friend. You're right with him. You've trusted him. You're his servant. He loves you. Keep trusting him, Job. This isn't going to be your end. Somehow, Job, although we don't understand how or why, your suffering is going to result in great glory. Job's friends couldn't say that, could they? (laughs) They couldn't because they had no place for innocent suffering. But as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we, we can say that. And we need to hear it, don't we? We, we do. <laughs> when pain and suffering comes, and it, and it will come, especially when pain and suffering is out of the ordinary to what we'd expect or goes on for a long time, it can fill us with doubts. <laughs> it can fill us with why questions. Why, God, what have I done? Why is this happening to me? Are you angry with me? Maybe you're in that place this morning. Maybe that's where you're at. Let me remind you, Christian, God is not punishing you. He's not turned away from you. You are in Christ and your suffering is undeserved. Jesus is with you and Jesus is is for you. Keep trusting your loving Father. You may not know why you're suffering, but your suffering is definitely not without purpose and your suffering will not have the last word. (laughs) Let me pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for the wisdom of the cross. Father, we're so thankful for your grace toward us. We're so thankful that you don't give us what we deserve. We rejoice in your grace again this morning. And we pray, Father, as we live in this world, you would keep us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're thankful that we are joined to him by cords that no one can sever. 
Continue to keep us in the week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.